This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I'm at work at Otago Polytechnic today, and we've got no Mawera, but we do have Sherlock Licorice. Sherlock is a senior lecturer at the Department of Information Science at Otago University, nearly but not quite across the road. Welcome, Sherlock. Thank you. We've been asking people how their bubble life was and how their traffic lights are going, knowing that that's turning into history now, but we'll ask it anyway. How was your bubble life? Um, I suppose I probably need to start from the top. Um, so I actually was on sabbatical RSL in Palmerston North at the University of Massey when I heard of this thing called COVID. Um, at the time, we sort of would have our, our regular coffee in the morning and we would talk about things happening around the world. And I recall uh, my colleague, uh, Amjad Tahir, who actually... Uh, lectured in Mohan, um, speaking about um, something happening at that end that, that then actually um, was sort of creating some interest, but no one ever thought it would sort of um, get to New Zealand that rapidly. Anyway, I spent six weeks there in the uh, Palmerston North uh, at Massey, um, after which I was meant to travel on to University of Canterbury for another six weeks, and then to University of Cyprus for another six weeks. So on my way from Massey to University of Canterbury, um, of course, we heard more of co- about COVID and then we heard that the country was gonna go into lockdown because COVID had arrived here. Um, of course, I had already booked uh, accommodation and all the like, and as I said, I was on my way. So I pretty much had to cancel travel, um, accommodation and the like, and then, um, yeah return home um, to the Um In the Dunedin, uh, it was somewhat of a sort of jolt whereby um, we were all at home. Um, all of a sudden now in this one space, I've just got a son here, um, but um, he um, monopolizes the bandwidth. So you can expect teenage son gaming and all the like happening. We've got a re-internet connection. We've never had to actually juggle in the home together for, for resources um, across the board, not just um, the internet, but for everything. Um, so whether it's um, um, some juice in the fridge or milk for coffee or whatever, now we're juggling everything and sharing everything <laughs> in this tiny space. So that was sort of um, something, some experience. Um, my wife is a nurse, so unfortunately she was in the thick of things, um, and in particular around um, PPE and having to shower as soon as she got in and um, 
and trying to isolate from us. Uh, so she would sort of try to occupy a different part of the home and all that for the first few, just because at the time we were all um, a bit anxious about COVID. And she was in particular anxious about um, potentially spreading it to us and spreading it to all the patients and so on. So she was uh, also extremely um, heightened. Um, so we sort of, she was living separate to me and my son. Um, but overall, it was now trying to find a way to adjust in that space, all of us together, whereas in the morning, we would just ship off to our own places and then get back there in the evenings. And so, um, yeah, so from the, from that perspective, it, it was a bit um, fiddly at first, um, but we sort of, as all humans do, and I'm supposing yourself as well, we sort of adjusted to, um, yeah, surviving and, and, and cohabiting at home. Um, I think whilst, um, COVID was um, not as positive for many things, especially my research, because I had planned trips done with colleagues um, in, in, in Canterbury and then in Cyprus, where I would actually spend six weeks of concentrated effort with them. Whilst that didn't happen, um, the project also um, had a, another look where we sort of look at how we might optimize work um, to still produce the promised outcomes. So from the perspective of work, it, it sort of um, was a bit hard, but of course we adjusted. In the end, we still actually met a couple of targets that we had promised. Uh, from home, as I said, we had to get used to again, um, surviving in a small space. One of the, the positives that came out of that uh, home arrangement was um, the opportunity I had to sort of spend quite a bit of time with my son. Um, and we sort of learned much more about each other, but uh, more than that, uh, I'm a physical person, so I like uh, physical activities, um, sports and weights and cycling and, and all the like. Uh, I got my son, who is not very um, inclined physically. Uh, he doesn't like it. I always sort of uh, speak to his, his natural um, genetics, um, and I sort of sometimes wish I was um, having that profile because of the passion I've got, but I don't think I have quite the profile that he's had or he's got. Um, so what I did get during this period is the opportunity to, to not only encourage him, but he sort of mimicked me because he sort of felt a bit of a way when I would jump on my bike in the afternoon to go and ride the hills. So he joined me um, and um, yeah, he became quite, um, as I'm, 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 I'm thinking it was somewhat linked to him, of course, having so much time that he was bored. So of course he had wanted something else to do. But it did actually get him into cycling um, daily with myself. We, we rode the hills um, and even into trying some mountain biking. Unfortunately, he got serious injury doing mountain biking. So I still beat myself on today because I sort of just, I'm the type of person who pushes um, um, myself and others in a way if they're going to join me. And so I believe in, as we say, winging it. So even though he was a bit nervous when we first went to the Redwood track to ride, uh, which isn't a hard track, but there's got a bit of crossing here and there. Um, I thought, say to him, come on, man, you can do it. Let's bring it. And uh, yeah, he did ride off one of the um, bridges there um, and, 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 and had an injury. So yeah, but I think overall, he still got back on the bike and, and we did um, quite a bit. So I think that was a positive thing. Um, so yeah, I think overall life um, as it were, even though hard, we adjusted and out of um, the COVID came, a, a few fruitful things. So yeah, I, I think um, my experience probably wasn't different to many people, but in some ways it taught us resilience and so on. So in, in many ways, I also um, 
in, in, I sort of reflected on this opportunity and the sort of way uh, my family um, stood up and, and, and was resilient. And I thought as bad as it was COVID, they're out of that, you know, the chance to socialize, to spend more time with, with, with family, to, to get my son into exercising more, um, to support my wife through her journey and trying to keep people alive um, and all that. Um, yeah, there is quite a bit that I think is a part now of all of us, um, society as a whole, that would not have probably um, happened had it not been for COVID. So good all, let's, all in all. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have... Eddie Grant, give me hope, Johanna. Why this one? Uh, yeah, I, I sort of grew up in the Caribbean where um, uh, there was a period, um, I recall as a child, where uh, we sort of hear things about happenings around the world, and um, in particular South Africa. And I remember in the, in the Caribbean growing up um, as a child, uh, we, where we had a society that was open and equal, and if and we had the races um, cohabiting and engaging and living together as one. And this hope that jo- Johanna's song would be played quite frequently on the airwaves. And I do recall even at home. Um, and we sort of would dance to the song, um, oblivious of what it really represented. Um, but as I grew older and I realized what this song, um, uh, by the way, Eddie Grant is from where I'm from. So he's Guyanese as well. So um, there, there wasn't only that one, but it's quite a few on LP and vanilla that we would sort of listen to and, and, and we'd, be, we'd be sort of <laughs> mocking around and so on as, as, as young kids. And I do recall um, um, at the time, as I said, not, not knowing what's happening, but subsequently into my teen years, um, there, was, there were times when I had no other friend that looked like me. So all of my friends looked different, uh, other ethnic groups. But, and, and on to this day, some of, some of my best memories are with people that don't look like me. Um, and so as a teen, I sort of understood uh, further what the song represented and why this hope, Joanna and so on, and, 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 and sort of felt in some regard a guilt to, to sort of the celebration we had around the song, but equally um, the opportunity to reflect on how fortunate I was um, having um, grown up in the Caribbean at the time when um, we were all free people, we were all equal people, um, and the, the sort of remnants and, and pains of colonization were behind us. So yes, it's ever since um, stuck with me, um, and it's a sort of song that I I would listen to sometimes, even with my son, um, as a sort of way to take me back to that place, both of happiness, but equally a, a sort of mild reflection and um, the, the sort of privilege and, and how fortunate it, it, it was for myself um, growing up. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's sort of the reason I thought, yeah, that's probably one. Sister 
Sherlock, you're talking about being on sabbatical on research leave during the the pandemic. I don't suppose you you didn't get to cash that in and, and say I'll go back another time. That that's that's it done. I was actually trying, believe me. Um, so I was <laughs> yes, I was actually saying, uh, look, I've I've had this budget. Um, I haven't spent anything in the budget, and in fact, to be frank, while I was in Palmerston North, I would even try to skimp on the money so much just because I know I had a triple header in yeah. terms of, of um, Massey, Canterbury, and um, and University of Cyprus. So I was skimping on the funds <laughs> so much that I was hardly living. And then here it is, nearly all the funds um, returned to the university. And so um, beyond even the time, I was thinking, oh, could I just get my funds? Because I, I, I will, of course, need to go and sabbatical again. But yeah, I think the the sort of tables have um, turned a bit since um, the start of the pandemic where finances across the board are becoming quite hard. So I, I don't envisage uh, getting that that sort of funds. Um, and of course, the the, the, the opportunity to, to sort of um, say, well, I had a cancelled one, so treat me as if I get double now. Um, but, but I will get likely the time because, um, yeah, I think I may have actually spent at home most of the time that I was going to be on sabbatical anyway in lockdown. So I probably put forward that. But I think generally speaking, the way the sabbatical accumulate, um, you likely, you're likely to have, in any case, um, more days than, than you would be able to, to go and leave. So, so I'm you, not so hard upon it yet. But you managed to get the research done remotely? Yes, much of it, yes. Not, 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 not as I had planned fully, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say 80% of it. Yeah. So your research is in software development and, and how teams work together, how, how people work together in, in the, the software development process. Do you think that that has been affected by by COVID? I mean, the, there must be a, an effect that all of a sudden, for a long time, software was really being developed remotely. We'd always sort of thought it was a thing that could be developed remotely, but now it can be. Uh, yeah, so I, I do um, hold a passion for the software development process, um, for learning about it. Um, and that relates both to the technical and um, human aspect. Um, in terms of the um, way distributed team or remote teams work, there's there's been a sort of established body of, of research now um, on this that has focused on all things distance and how that plays into software development. So that's been a long time ago. Um, so I think some um, aspects of that are quite matured, and especially if you sort of look at the offshoring um, outsourcing sort of reality, open source development and all that. These are all models that even prior to COVID are, are done um, globally distributed. Um, so, yeah, I think for many of us who weren't used to that, um, of course, there was sort of an issue there where we get thrown into um, having this technology mediate everything we do somehow. Um, but I think because that existed in some shape or form, so even if you work in New Zealand, um, most of us, we sort of see ourselves here at the bottom of the world um, as still connected somehow because I've got colleagues in Brazil, in Canada, in in, in Finland, in, in Sweden, in Germany. Um, so the, the reality is that we've always had to do this somehow for some of us. So, yes, I think when the COVID hit, it, it, it sort of um, 
made it necessary for everyone. And so um, dealing with team dynamics and all those stuff came to the fore. And that, of course, um, then ignited a sort of new stream of research that sort of, in some regard, um, still looking at the old conventional global software engineering stuff, but, but equally sort of bring that issue of um, pandemic programming, pandemic um, software engineering, pandemic testing. Yeah. But I, 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 from where I sit personally, apart from the sort of um, issue of pathogens, having to guard for that and dealing with risk and mask and all of that, I do believe uh, much of what has has been um, in the in the body of evidence on global software engineering applies in this context as well. The only issue, of course, is probably in regard developers being sick and 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 and, and so on, and how they sort of straddle caring for family at home and technology being shared. So a programmer that had say a bandwidth that was all to himself is now he's got three kids and his wife to share his bandwidth and and so on. Yeah. Do you think that the textbooks of the future, looking at the history of software engineering, software development, will refer to a pre-pandemic software engineering and a post-pandemic software engineering, or is it is, is it not going to be such an effect? Yeah, yeah, I think it. I'm not sure it probably did, um, distinguish pre and post, but there's definitely going to be more emphasis on the global aspect, uh, the distributed aspect, uh, and as I said. I do I do have a colleague, um, Professor Daniel Adevan in, in Canada, that actually um, lectured a course on global software engineering. There's a literal course at the uni on this topic. We don't have one um, at the title. Um, and at the time, um, I think I sort of learned about that one uh, in 2015, 16. So it's been quite a while that that course existed. Um, I can see some, some, some course like that becoming very, very relevant. So essentially that course covers software engineering and on top of that, all of the, the issues that might pop up globally, you know, the issue potentially of culture, the issue of team dynamic, the issue of, of how and when do you collocate, the issue of time difference, and so on. So I think that, uh, that those aspects will feature more prominently going forward. Uh, whether, you, whether it's called pandemic, uh, pandemic software engineering or post or pre-pandemic, yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I think in some regard, it's definitely going to feature more prominently. Do you think that development is back, software development is back to business as usual? Or is it something else? Yeah, um, I think um, for the most part, the issue of um, talent availability and so on existed that existed before um, is here again. Um, I think during the pandemic, we sort of switch online. So a big emphasis came on technology availability, uh, video conferencing, and those sorts of stuff. Nobody actually thought of the software as it, of course, video conferencing is software, right? But you don't think of software in this way. And so, um, yeah, I think there was sort of a, a bit of um, emphasis more on technology and, and support, um, you know, technical support to ensure your Zoom is working, your internet is working, and so on. Um, in there, of course, quite a bit of software um, is, is keeping us afloat. Um, I think there was a bit of hesitation um, in terms of investment and all the like. People um, people wanted to see how this would play out. Um, but for the most part, um, after that period, then much of the actual world, um, that hesitation subsided. And so much of the world then saw sort of trying to bring people in 
of times when they weren't uh, expanding any anything in terms of their uh, inventory capital. So I think, um, yeah, it's if not back to normal, it's we're trying to get there. Um, on, but one of the, the barriers, of course, has always been is staffing, the availability of staffing. Yeah. So you're from the Caribbean, from Guyana. How are they doing there? Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty well, actually. Um, so the, the, we sort of say we're from the Caribbean because the Caribbean as a place geographically is um, in some regard, and it's a funny one because um, many people don't know that the Caribbean is um, multilingual um, and was colonized by uh, practically um, all of Europe. So the Caribbean actually as a place, when we speak of coming from the Caribbean, most often people think of the British Caribbean. So, and that's exactly where I'm from. So it's really um, a number of islands and Guyana. Guyana is actually geographically attached to South America. So we share uh, borders with uh, Venezuela, uh, Suriname and Brazil. And then of course, Trinidad on our coastline is, is, is probably the nearest country. So um, yeah, I think the pandemic affected everyone. And, and in our case, we don't depend um, heavily on tourism. So we've always had a, a sort of large amount of natural resources. So the traditional gold, diamond, agri, um, raw material for aluminum, bauxite, and so on. Um, so those sectors, I suppose, were, were somewhat uh, affected because of restrictions on lockdown and all the like and so on. But um, yeah, over that period, we sort of discovered quite a bit of oil. Um, so Guyana, um, even though I've not been home for some time, Guyana is now on a trajectory as an oil producing nation. And so um, in as much as COVID um, has affected the economy, it's got a bit of debts and so on, like everywhere else. Um, yeah, they've got a sudden um, rush of wealth that has, um, I think, um, helped them to sort of keep afloat. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think Guyana um, has come out of, of, of the pandemic in a good way, really. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arohanui, kia koutou, ko tahoho. I hope you're all having a best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very reward, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all, the last more than two and a half years have been very hard and it's so important that at all times we are kind to ourselves and to each other, that we show compassion, understanding, love, clarity in our communication and in our interchange with one another and that we give ourselves what we love. For me this means my work at my heart's home, Orokanui Eco Sanctuary, but also my music and I've been so grateful to have the opportunity to be getting back into performing with my band, Tahun the Takahes, and we had a gig last night which was fantastic and it really uplifted me and reminded me of so many aspects of myself that hadn't been nourished in the time intervening and I know that this is the case for all of us there are parts of us that have really missed those 
nourishing aspects of our lives because we haven't been able to access them or we've had to access them in different ways and so part of this compassion that we're having to show to one another is understanding that we are missing those really integral activities that remind us who we are and what we can do. So last night it was wonderful, we were celebrating my saxophone player's birthday. We had his family down, his dad, who's also a saxophone player, playing as well and it was really beautiful and we had a wonderful time. He brought out a cake and it was very exciting and I found all these detective pipes and spray painted them gold so everyone could have these mini saxophones, which was very entertaining. And we had a really great time and of course for all of us, we haven't been able to get together and really celebrate in this way for a long time and being able to come together again and celebrate as we used to and as we have been so accustomed to is so precious. So I really hope for you you're able to do this and you're able to find ways to really re-engage with those aspects of yourself that have been in a state of deprivation and longing for so long and really enjoy it but also be so proud of yourself that you have persevered and continued despite these difficulties and despite these deprivations and despite having to adapt and find new ways to nourish yourself when those old ways return it's a wonderful wonderful feeling it's a wonderful sense of homecoming and and true reward it was lovely for me that the band had put a lot of time and energy into working on some of my songs and we played them together last night and such a satisfying feeling so I really hope that for you you're getting that opportunity to see your creative fruits come out into the world and you know plant new beautiful beautiful trees and you can see the proliferation of all your ideas and your creativity in this world in whatever form that may take and of course we are all innately creative and just in being and just in our choice of expression and our choice of communication everything that we do is creative so I hope that you're acknowledging that for yourself and finding ways to really enjoy that I know for myself being part of this show is really special and really helps me hearing everybody's stories everybody's ways of wayfinding in this new time all these new ways of doing being seen feeling so I want to say a big thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me and I'll look forward to talking to you all again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Sherlock Licorice. Sherlock, before Tahu, you were talking about the culture as part of the global software engineering. And you and I have just collaborated on a paper looking at decolonizing computing education. Do you think that that's something that, that that we need to be working on around the world or in particular parts of the world? Oh, yeah, of course, definitely. It's, it's sort of something that is close to my heart, really, to be honest. Um, so coming from um, a, a sort of section of the population that I see as sort of minority population, it does um, sort of excite me to see anything that sort of um, looks at includes, including others, uh, bringing others. Um, I've actually recently examined the PhD thesis that has um, looked at um reviews online for software and and sort of look at who um sort of features in these reviews and on and who also developed the software 
and, and sort of some of the evidence coming out of that um, work shows that the same people that typically develop the software, those are the people that tend to review the software. So if you sort of have software that is made by a specific group and is reviewed for perfection by the same group that is then used by the whole world, that's definitely um, going to cause some disproportionate issues with regard, do we actually address the needs of, 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 um, of everyone? And I'm um, reading over um, our uh, um, uh, collaboration for the paper coming out of that one. I sort of um, internalized quite a few things. Um, and in some regard, it sort of cuts to the very core um, in the way knowledge is presented, uh, represented, and consumed, and what we see as, as um, the gold standard, so to speak. So yes, I do believe um, everybody should come to the table and everybody should be allowed to be a part of this process. I believe part and parcel of being creative, innovative, and so on is being aware. So if you sort of sit in your bubble and you think through that, those thoughts will magically present. It really, really doesn't happen. The, the, the inventors have all seen something that strike that fire in them to invent. So it's, it's the same, I think, um, for our discipline um, and for disciplines globally, where we sort of need to, in my view anyway, um, get everyone um, sitting at the table. And uh, once, once that is the case, then we likely will get um, more innovation because then we will hear more stories, we'll hear more experiences, we'll record more events. And it's in those events that you sort of will, will, will get that, that, um, that, that, that fire that presents both solutions for everyone, but also solutions that are truly uh, useful and, use, useful and um, readily uh, adopted by everyone. Do you have experience of getting students to get past that initial thought that computing is somehow abstract and pure and mathematical? And this this race or this culture or this um, these values based things don't have room. Just you know, it's it's not relevant for them. Yeah, that's a very good question, Sam. So I do. Um, while you're asking this question, I actually do um, um, recall an experience in particular from someone from the um, Pacific Island community that said um, to me a long time ago um, that the reason um, the reason folks from those communities are challenged um, to sort of get into uh, computing, ICT, mathematics. The STEM discipline generally is because um, they don't think like uh, Europeans. The Europeans are naturally um, green and, and sort of bred to think this way, and so that's the reason. Um, to be frank, I, I don't believe, um, I, I have actually, of course, um, had all sorts of efforts um, directed at trying to, to, to promote and to get people uh, involved in the discipline, but I don't believe um, a lot of it is devoid of of, of trust and distrust. So I think um, the the biggest issue beyond the the sort of techniques and thinking and all the like is the issue of, of um, um, distrust. So you sort of think of um, of, of of that um, student that's, that that noted um, it's the way of thinking being European. I think that already sows the seed. For, for for not to part to not participate, you know, because it's not my way of thinking. So that sort of it, it, to me, it's it's beyond um, the ones and zeros um, and more around this thing is actually for all. And I think if there are representations and evidence and enough to show it's for all, then likely everybody will participate. So I've had this uh, especially um, uh, with with male female. 
which is a bit of a, um, a funny thing because some of my best students are female, you know? So you sort of see this, this sort of split. And even in the Caribbean where I, I've done a bit of, of teaching as well, you sort of see this, this always this skewed distribution um, towards the male. But most often when the females are involved, they, they, they sort of um, inspire and they do so well. So yeah, I think it's it's just removing the the. It's not an issue of of, of math or or um, computational complexity or anything. It's just an issue of lack of trust. Because in the female context, they think um, it's a male career. They'll be disadvantaged. They'll be seen as weird. Their thoughts wouldn't be accepted. So there's there's inherent distrust in in the process in the sort of in what is available there. And I think in the context of of uh, underrepresented groups, um, whether it's uh, African um, or, or indigenous groups and so on, it's the same distrust. Um, you know, you sort of look at these portals and open communities and so on, and as much as they're open, they're not open because you sort of come um, with a sort of um, Polynesian indigenous looking emoji and you you submitted um, a, a solution to, to a, a, a feature. I'm certain that your solution will be in some regard, given more scrutiny than if you sort of look, for instance, European and you submitted a solution to a feature. So I think it's much of it is mostly um, something that we need to overcome by just um, more of us being involved, but equally more of us contributing and, and getting to that pinnacle where we're visible and seen and the career equally being more open in, open in terms of taking on more views, bringing everyone to the table, trying to design and, and cater for everyone such that it is seen that this is this is this is a normal thing. You can imagine if you saw um 50% of the software in New Zealand, actually in that software they are they are evidence of things Maori. So whether it's it's emblems and, and icons and so on, uh, right down to the representation of knowledge and so on. So if you had automatically um, the Maori population will see that as something that is useful for them to use because then it, it features them. So the trust sort of wanes away. I think it's the case where if you've got 5% um, of the population developing software and then the same 5% reviewing and critiquing and perfecting it and evolving it, how can then you have a society that trusts that entirely as something that represents them? And I think that the annex, in, a, in addition to that better serving that population, if we're looking at it purely from a innovation in computing perspective, I think there's really interesting space that's totally under, underexplored. If we apply things like multiple ways of knowing to database design, it might change how we think about databases. Excellent. And that would be really exciting. Exactly. I think so too. Yeah, Because as I said, much of what sort of starts us thinking is, discovery, what we see, what we observe. You, you sort of see something and think, ah, oh, this could be done better. So in the same way, if those if those views and, and construct of knowledge were on the table, we will see again. And everybody will see, even those who are providing the, the construct and views. So I agree with you 100%. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Bob Marley, Iron, Lion, Zion. Why this one? Oh, yeah. So, so um, this one actually, uh, again, of course, from the Caribbean, we, we're full of soul there and, and, and we sort of like our reggae and so on. So um, I remember as a, as a, as a youngster, um, I've always been much older than my age. Um, I'm not going to say my age, uh, but yeah. And so um, I've had this older cousin, um, shout, give him a shout out. His name is Curtis, who um, 
um, my brother died when I was, was was quite young, my older brother, and he saw that I looked up to him um, for protection whenever the guys are uh, roughhousing me or uh, in, in whatever way he might teach me various things and so on. So when he died, uh, my cousin then became sort of um, my big brother and I lived in a sort of um, compound where my cousin lived not far from me. We sort of live in the same space pretty much. So I had an apartment in the same same environment. He, his, his family had another apartment. And, um, and be, because he was reasonably influential with the older boys, so he sort of, uh, in the group sort of, one of the ones that had sort of taken the group, he's, and he's much older than me, probably about 10, 10, 10, 12 years older than me. He would, um, he would get his way. So I remember as a youngster, I always, as I said, always above my age and trying to sort of to, to, to grow up quite fast, much faster than I should have. And um, we sort of would play soccer. So there was sometimes on the, especially during the holiday and so on, when we literally were in the Caribbean, we would, we would play soccer on the road where the car drove. So sometimes the, those guys would even be as presumptuous as as um as as you probably wouldn't expect to block the road from cars passing. And then we've got everybody in the neighborhood looking at this soccer game. And I was very little, probably about 12. And the guys playing the soccer, all of us in the team, whatever we play, if it's six aside or something, would be as much as like 20, 22, 24 years old. I was about 12 years old. And um, because my cousin knew I was so... Um, I was always trying to be much bigger than my age and he would sort of give me that opportunity. He also knew I could play, even though I looked so small. So he, he picked me on his team once to play, of course, at the, the sort of condemnation of some of his peers. Why do you pay? It's because it's your family or whatever. And I remember playing on the road and with the guys and I saw I had the ball and this big guy, tall guy, um, came to try to get the ball and I sort of passed him, I dribbled him and then I scored. And, um, yeah, during that time, there's always music and something, but this song was being played, and I felt like a lion indeed. So I also sort of so was looking uh, sort of with this inspiration, the opportunity, and I, again, I just show how opportunity can lead to something, because I was given an opportunity to play the game, and hence, and after playing the game, this guy became um, the talk of the tongue, and was he was really teased um, for, for, for allowing me, well, he didn't allow me, I, uh, I, he just didn't expect <laughs> So when he came, it was to take the ball from me. He never knew I would be able to do, to sort of pass him, which is a simple dribble. And, and I just tapped it in. So he never anticipated this would be possible. He figured with his big size, he'd run on me, he would just take the ball. So this song, as I said, would be play, it was playing. And I recall at the time, um, the feeling, it was, it was Goosebumps feeling, you know. Um, immediately, actually, they took me off and substitute me for obvious reasons. Um, because the guys were very upset, especially on the other side, and they figured the guys probably would try to hurt me uh, if I would sort of continue playing with that rage. And I sat and I took that song in. And and, and then thereafter, I remember um, with meeting with, with the boys my age now, because I, of course, got um, got my really little friends. And I would say to them, they, they say, oh, how did you manage that? I say, I'm a lion. And I said, do you listen to this song? So, yes, yeah, so sort of when, when I sort of think of um, a, a song to, to sort of feature, it replayed. Now, I think, um, and again, it cuts to what I was saying earlier about opportunity and offering the chance everyone to come to the table. I think with opportunities, anything is possible, to be frank, and you sort of will see what the, the sort of the sort of creations that come out of that. So I've actually been a, a sort of an example of someone who's been given opportunity from very, very small, from my cousin Curtis giving me that opportunity to join his team 
and to be picked over quite a few other, much older, more experienced people. So being given the opportunity to study um, at the university and, and be treated fairly um, and as equal to everyone there um, for my first degree, for my second degree, for my third degree, um, to being given the opportunity to, to, to be involved with postgrad, um, postdoctoral research, um, to being given the opportunity to be a faculty member, um, an academic, and so on. So I sort of look at this um, in a way half full, half empty, because there's so many people who are as good as I am or even better who aren't given opportunities. So I think it's sort of, if anything, that song to me symbolizes um, just that, the sort of um, the sort of attitude or desire or drive or feature to sort of stay put, stay strong and keep pressing on because, yeah, ultimately you're doing um, the best you can always. And like a lion in Zion, one day you'll get to the top.
Sherlock, I have some questions to end the show and not very much time, so we're going to have to wriggle. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, yeah, I suppose grant funding. So, you know, grant funding in an academic context, New Zealand um, is quite hard to come by. So I've had uh, 50 proposals funded um, in 2000, uh, got released funding, and the funding was released in 2021. Um, so, yeah, that was probably um, the biggest success um, just because I had tried so many times before finally uh, cracking that one. So, yeah, I would say that one. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? Mm, My superpower? I think it's patience, understanding, resilience. It's staying the course, yeah. So if anything, I do believe all things are possible. Yeah, I I genuinely believe so, so. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, no, I don't. Um, not quite. Um, I do believe um, I could do more. I believe I do rep for the underdog. I do believe that I, um, yeah, I'm one who do meet and engage everyone with a blank slate. So from this perspective, I, I sort of do the best I can to encourage um, everyone to have a crack. But yeah, I'm, I'm not quite an activist. But but yeah, I, I, I do represent that, which encourages and treat and, and aspire for everyone to be seen as equal. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm. Yeah, I suppose passion, um, appreciation for life, for opportunities. Um, yeah, and just the desire to solve problems. <laughs> Family is quite big for me as well. So yeah, much of it perhaps is, is related um, to family too. So what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, so I've actually, um, in terms of work, I'm actually um, on the cusp of sort of breakthrough, I think. So I've got um, some techniques I'm developing that hopes to sort of fix online content for software engineering that needs fixing. So if you sort of think of Stack Overflow, for instance, as a portal, we copy and paste a lot of what is on Stack Overflow. So I've got some algorithms I'm, I'm sort of looking at that aims to, to help us to sort of ensure those content uh, that we copy and paste uh, are wholesome. So, yeah, I think um, that's probably going to be a big one. Um, so, yeah. Sounds good. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, I think you're doing a good thing uh, here in terms of interviewing um, various people to, to get their thoughts and so on, but, but equally to, to inspire so keep on it. So on, on, in, 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 the, in the first instance, I, I want to say um, kudos to you. So well done on, on what yourself um, and your colleague um, are doing. Um, yeah, I think we've made it over the, the hump with the pandemic. We're on the other side. Um, and it, it indeed appears though it's taken that way by most. So um, thanks everyone for standing strong, for staying put and for beating um, Beating the pandemic for the most part. We're not totally out of the woods, but we're getting there. Um, so, yeah, keep on it. If we can do that, I suppose we can do most things. This was quite a dreadful one. So I would um, say, yeah, let's use that same energy, same resilience to go forward. But what's more, let's equally, um, as Jacinda Arden would say constantly on um, her um, media updates, um, being kind um, and so on, let's, let's equally sort of be willing. Um, in addition to be kind, be open, um, 
be, be ready to to listen um and hopefully yes move together as one thank you very much for that be kind and be willing that's a good one thank you thank you sam thanks again for the opportunity Stay drifting away Oh come on, you gotta free your mind They're gonna tell you a little story about how we're gonna find A place to go and a place to play Where we can have from all the creatures that are out to stay Freedom meets a state of mind A place to go from time to time I get away even only for a little bit Oh come on, let your inhibition sit We gotta feel it coming through Rhythm and the blues Just relax and let it do what it's gonna do Let your hair down, come on, spin around Modern day hippie coming up and getting down Starting to think I'm in a new evolution Singing, baby, maybe someday we could break this illusion Cause it's a beautiful day Oh, it's so, so nice It's a beautiful day Everything's alright It's a beautiful day Oh, it's so, so nice
zone, boys and girls, wherever you are around this world, this is your moment, this is your time and you can get down and get involved, if you're driving your car, cooking some dinner, with your mates or just in a state, this is your time, it's your rhythm break, so get involved, get involved. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, we are broadcast on Otago Access Radio and streamed and podcast from oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Duncan Disorderly and the Scallywags. Beautiful day. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin, and I've been joined from Otago University by Sherlock Licorice. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.